BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So we've got some, um, we got some writer's tears. Nice, which is which is not bad. So yeah, we've got our. Um, I've our seen proper, like three proper, different proper drinking apparatuses over, over there. You've had a, <laughs> you've had a couple beer cans, a couple of whiskey glasses. Yeah, um, I had to, to get my my open uh, oh, my, my open uh, water water stuff as well. So the odd you put the odd, put the odd bit of water in the whiskey. It does it does help. These are the tales of golf past, as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending historic rounds, on and off course moments, memories of personal catastrophe, and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jer. I'm Proy. I'm Joe. And I'm Megs. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the Lynx Stories. I'm Tom Kennedy, and I'm going to try anyway to tell you about the uh, phenomenal 13-month run of Pari Harrington, um, who won three majors in 13 months, two Open Championships, um, and obviously he won the PGA as well in 2008. So, uh, looking forward to it. One of the best smiles in golf. I think so, yeah. Yeah, smiles at pretty much everything as well, which is always good, so. Matt Kuchar frowns for the first time in like five years listening to that. The best probably, smile. Probably, yeah. Hope, hope I think Parrington uh, pays Victor, his daddy better. Victor Hovland has a, a pretty good smile in golf as well. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, it's, it'd be hard to upset him, I'd say. You know, he'd have to do something really, really, really bad to poor old Victor. He's, yeah, he's a good, um, seems to have, have a good, uh, good kind of mentality. So. Smiles like a, like a cabbage patch kid. A little bit, like a, yeah. Small like pitch, a, yeah. Goofy little grin. And funny enough, he's a huge fan of Norwegian death metal. He is, is it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. He, uh, I've read some article about him recently. He's really into just driving around Oklahoma, blaring death metal. 
<laughs> that's how he gets gets calm for tournaments. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, always, uh, I don't I think Padre. I can't really pick Padre as a death metal guy. Honestly, not no. Probably yeah, not. It'd, be, it'd be. I I wouldn't I wouldn't picture Padre uh, doing <laughs> doing too much uh, listening to any kind of music now. But I could I could be doing him a disservice, <laughs> but. Um, Victor's probably just smiling all the time because he doesn't have to hear blaring music. That's probably his, his <laughs> mindset there. Just Possibly. like yeah, yeah. make Suddenly. all the time off the golf course insufferable, and then it's a walk in the park after that. The fantastic silence of it all, yeah. I'm sure Park is listening to the podcast such as your own, so you know it's it's all it's probably all got <laughs> for him. Look, it, it was 60 years wait, you know, until. Until an art, and you know the, the second Irish player had won. Um, it was Fred Daly back in nineteen forty-seven. But Fred won in Royal Pool Golf Club or High Lake, as it's more affectionately known, which Rory won on as well in twenty fourteen. Um, I wasn't at, I wasn't there in forty-seven, but I was in it there in twenty fourteen, and you know, good good track. But Fred was, I suppose, you know, golf and royalty, uh, such such as the major win was, because it was. It was nothing really until nothing really until Parry. There was a lot of close calls. Um like two, well two years later, Harry Bradshaw, I think was was one or two shots off. Um and actually there was this there was an interesting story about Harry Bradshaw was a really good, really good Irish pro around the same time who I think his got whose golf ball landed in a beer bottle or something up in Port Rush in forty I think it was forty nine when it was in Port Rush. Max Faulkner won, and there was like you can't get on your. There's no, there's no mobile phones. There's no walkie talkies. There's no re, like referees with every match, and turned out that he just had to play the ball out of this beer bottle. As in, like you know, <laughs> what? If, if you're confused, play it, play it as he's as it lies, and he made like a bogey or a double bogey and missed the, I think missed the play. Like there was, I don't think there was a playoff, but he would have won. He would have either made the playoff or won by a shot. So we could have had two Irish major winners. After waiting a long time, even for the first one, so you would have thought that an Irishman would be right at home landing a golf ball in a beer bottle. You would have just yeah, there you go. A way so. to <laughs> figure out a way to down it and and make do. Yeah, so um, you know that was that was an, an unfortunate irony there, actually, for all Harry. But so yeah, I suppose through the probably through the sixties, seventies into the eighties, it would have been during Christy O'Connor Senior, who who was probably the the main kind of major player at the time and Chrissy didn't didn't really travel outside of probably going to the UK for tournaments so um he wouldn't have he would have been good enough and pro- probably would have qualified for a lot of US opens and PJ championships and possibly would have been invited to the masters um but he di- but he didn't travel um you know Joe Carr would have would have got at, would have got invites um and uh, did play in the masters um but as an as an amateur, um, and I'm sure he was an amateur champion when he when he did get invited, and, and possibly got invited as a, as a special guest of, of maybe, um, I think Clifford Roberts and, and and Bobby Jones as well. Um, I think I think at the time that sometimes he came over and nobody played or made the cut. So, um, as as good of a friend he was of Aaron Palmer and Jack Nicklaus, I don't think they ever wanted to play with him in Augusta because they didn't make it to the weekend. Um. But I suppose you know Joe would have been a phenomenal amateur and one of the best amateurs ever to play the game. But you know, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a big big major contender. But he probably played more majors than some of the, the Irish, uh, you know, the Irish pros that were on tour at the time, especially in the states. Um, and then you would have would have players like you know, 
I suppose John O'Leary and you know going through going through probably into seventies into the eighties, Evan Darcy, Ben Smith. They were they were good tour players. They played well in Ryder Cups, but you know they might they might have you know contended every now and then in the majors, and then you didn't you know into the nineties with players like Ronan Rafferty, Philip Walton, Ferty, um, they, they would have played you know a few Ryder Cups, and then then into Darren Clark who. You know, had a very close call in '97 when Justin Leonard won, um, and and then we'd we'd Har- you know Harrington I suppose started to put his head put his head up um, in terms of contention at a ver- very close call in 2002 in Muirfield where he thought he needed a birdie probably to make the playoff or win. He bogeyed and missed out in the playoff by one. Els won that year. Um, you know, to, to I think he was his third major at the time, and then he then he won again when Adam Scott made a made a horrend, had a horrendous finish. Um, I think bogey the last four to give to give him the the open. I think and you know, might have been might have been Lidham. Can't remember now. Um, but yeah, and then sounds right. You know, there would have been you know that he he did contend he did contend. Um, Parry contended in he would have been up there in a couple of Masters probably. There was I think there was one year that. He had a, what he thinks was a great I five went into fifteen that didn't quite make the carry and pickled back into the water um that year, but you know, eventually in 07 after I think sixty years of waiting, we finally finally got our major winner. And I think actually I think Rory was the leading amateur that year as well. So it was kind of a double uh, a dub a dub a double win, which is uh which is which was which was um uh, which was welcome obviously, but God it, it took Took a while of waiting. There weren't too many close causes. Was that as many close causes as we'd like? But the same year he won, he won the um, he won the Irish Open and he won the Irish PGA Championship. He won the Irish Open in a dare manner, and he won the Irish PGA Championship in a place called the European Club. Um, that I think he credits a lot to going towards his body's Open wins because he actually won the, the the following year as well. Um, he warmed up with. With um, I think it was literally the weekend before. It was two or three rounds, and he won at the European the second time as well in very bad conditions. That kind of rolled over into Birkdale, I think, for the you know for the first round at least. So um, I know Barry says he, he doesn't particularly like playing in bad weather, but he knows when he plays in bad weather that he's probably got to step ahead of the rest of the rest of the bunch because trying to get it done. So it was good. It was good prep for him and. You know, there was a there was a long run waiting for an Irish Open winner, and thankfully, when we got the Irish Open winner, we also got an Open Championship winner and a major winner. Mm-hmm. Yep, and just before that was Ryder Cup, also in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, it was all six. So I, I suppose Parigs for a baptism of fire in Brookline in '99. Um, he played, I think he played the foursomes with Jimenez. Um, I think they won both their foursomes games, and he beat Omir in the Omir in the singles. I think he might have been three out of three now. Could be, could might be mistaken, but I think he might have done. Um, because I think he that's what it is now. You've, yeah, I think you've rewritten history. So there you go. There it is. <laughs> he definitely beat Omir in the in the singles anyway. Um, which <laughs> which he at the time with all the table uh, with all the tables matches it was it it looked like he was probably going to win the Ryder Cup at the time. Um, such as the mad, the mad, uh, the mad Saturday or the mad Sunday in Brookline was, but fortunately it didn't um, didn't work out. But you know, he went down. He was, I suppose, one of the one of the leading players in 
for Europe uh, on the European Tour in 2002 when the when the Belfry um, obviously it's, it's it's 20 years to the day now that we're commemorating 9-11 so that was supposed to be 2001 it was 2002 mainly because of the 9-11 attacks um, and Parik played Parik had a good partnership with, with Monty that that Ryder Cup and I think he won he won his singles pretty 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 well as well um, that was a decent victory and then in 04 you know, I suppose it was at the height of his powers and Monty and, and Harrington took down the Took down Mickelson and Tiger in the and I think in the in the four balls or foursomes I think yeah I think it was the four balls in uh, on the on the morning um I was watch I was listening to it from my uh, from my my uh, college graduation on that day um obviously the the administrators at uh, the University of Limerick didn't uh, didn't understand what was going on that Friday that they would have put a graduation ceremony on but um instead of going celebrating with the rest of the gang I was going home to watch the Ryder Cup so. That's how important it was for for the golfers, but priorities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he did a really good Ryder Cup, and I know he he obviously returned to Oakland Hills then um, four years later. Then to to hold a he held a I think a forty or fifty footer against I think might have been a Haas in singles when things were kind of kind of over. But I suppose players like their like their records and like their you know their their personal. Uh, personal records for Ryder Cup and stuff like that. So he, he held a, a big pot against Jay Haas in the 18th green and I suppose it stood him in good stead when he held a pretty big pot against Garcia in 2008 and again in the PGA Championship. So, um, yeah, and then, then in, in Ireland, I suppose, in the K Club, he was he was there alongside McGinley and um, McGinley and Clark alongside the, the rest of the Europeans and, it, you know, it was, a, it was a great week for the country and right in the middle of the golf and boom and you know, he probably didn't have the week he wanted personally, but you know, the team got the job done. I think he got maybe a half a point or a point in total off it. Um but, you know, the rest of the team did did, did a great job and it probably he you know, he he mightn't take it personally, but it hopefully gave him the springboard into into O seven then when he you know, he made the major breakthrough. I know he didn't have the best of the Ryder Cups in his last one in two thousand and eight. In uh, no, sorry, second last one, two thousand eight in Valhalla, and then play, you know played played pretty well. I think in in Celtic Manor, I know he he kind of caddied uh, caddied one of the one of the European guys around the course. It seemed he was lighting up his putts and stuff like that. And the uh, I think it was Rossiter in one of the in one of the four balls. But um, you know, he was all in all, he had a, he had a pretty good Ryder Cup record and was you know one of the best players in Europe for about ten years. And in that time, had a had a, a you know a golden run. Uh, Thirteen months, including the two two Open Championships, that you know they were memorable for a few reasons. He'd been, you know, he'd definitely been into the top ten in the world. Mm-hmm. He was right up there, if not winning the Order of Merit for you know, give or take, I suppose, uh, you know, six years to 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 a few more. You you know, he was a. I don't, you know, un, un, until the majors, he he was he was automatic qualifying Ryder Cups. He was winning a few a few tournaments a year anyway. If not, you know, there was no real drought. He was, I think, the two thousand and two kind of close call. Probably, you know, he 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 still thinks that, you know, after that that he needed to be lucky to win a major. I suppose he got a, a little bit a little bit a little bit of luck along the way, but a lot of it he. You know, created for himself. Um, it's 
Okay, the Irish. It's tough. It's yeah, look, the Irish. It's tough. It's tough for this when you're waiting sixty years to kind of go. He's definitely going to do it. You know, he's definitely going to win a major. And you know, you have commentators yeah. kind of going. You know, that's another win now for Harrington or you know, great performance in the Ryder Cup. And you're going. You know, the next step now is surely a major. And you go. Well, the next step is a major, but the next step is a major for a lot of players. Like you know, and there's a lot of players that their next step is still a major and they still haven't done it. I mean, you know, when you when you look at a few of them still on tour that, you know, they said, yeah, oh, that's a major winner in waiting, but they could be waiting a long bloody time and all of a sudden then they're teeing it up on the senior tour and they're still going, yeah, he should have probably won a major. I mean, look, like Monty, how many times, you know, had it, suppose, like Jack Nicholas pretty much said, uh, congratulations, you're the 1992 US Open champion and he didn't win that US Open. Tom Kite won it. Um, now, that's, you know, Monty played a very good final round and, and, and Tom Kite, Tom Kite uh, won at a Pebble Beach, but it just shows, you know, that he had a lot of close calls like two years later with, I think it was Els at, at Oakmont and then a few years later, Congressional, and there was a few Opens and it was PGA, I think, to beat him in a playoff. And you're thinking like, he's going to win it at some stage. He's just too good. And he's such a good, so good in Ryder Cup and such a good singles player and just a good bloody golfer. But, and I mean, one of the, like, people think, think he's a nearly man, but he, like, he won the Order of Merit, he won the money list in Europe, like, seven or eight years in a row. I mean, he's beaten, like, he's beaten people like Seve and Nick Faldo and Woosnam and Harrington and, you know, Garcia, I suppose, when he came on tour initially. I mean, these are not, like, these are good bloody golfers. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think, Ola Table beat him in the amateur. For example, I don't think he won the, the, the amateur championship, but I think all the table beat him in the amateur. That that's a pretty good final. Um, so you know, it's just some people just don't don't end up winning majors. I mean, you know, you can I suppose you can look back and say, look, Bernard Langer is two majors, Greg Norman is two majors, but John Daly is two majors. You know, that's a that's a perfectly <laughs> acceptable English sentence, but you know, for golfers, it's kind of you know, it's kind of like. How the hell have those lads only two majors? But John Daly is two majors, and I'm, you know, I'm a big John Daly fan. He's, he's a, you know, he's a, he's the kind of the, the average golfer's golfer. But you're thinking sure. like he's got two majors, two boys, two majors, and they should definitely have, you know. So you yeah, that sentence is golf history, but it kind of reads like a like a Mad Lib. Yeah, yeah. Kind of some of the randomness of golf and how these streaks occur, where you know, it really takes getting hot. Yeah, it's it's supposed to like like riding the avalanche a little bit, like you know, riding the storm. Like I know McGinley talks about momentum a lot, um, especially when he's talking about Ryder Cups and stuff. It's just you'll get get that momentum and just keep it going and trying to, I suppose, do do what you've been doing for, you know, what you were doing the last time. <laughs> if it works, it works. It's great. If it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't change it a small bit but you know to think that he going from major number three or two to major number three he actually supposedly made made swing changes so it's kind of crazy but you know people are you know golfers are a fickle bunch um i suppose a lot can happen in a month um, when you're playing golf but um you know it's 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 kind of mad i suppose you know you go you go hole for hole and you're playing 60 to 70 shots if you're if you're lucky or good enough in a round, I suppose there's lots that can happen, and little things that you find, little things that you you feel or you see or you 
you know, the club, uh, John Jacobs, the he was a great old pro. He was his Ryder Cup captain for a couple of years before Jacqueline came around. He's like the club face never lies. So, you know, <laughs> if it's going left, you freaking you you did it, or you know, you put the club, you put the club in a place that it hit a left or going right or going straight. So, you know, the, the club, the club face is the the best. Uh, I suppose the tell the telltale signs, and you know, he he had a very good coach, Bob, with Bob Parents, I suppose as, as well. That, um, while Bob was still was still around, but, um, you know, they were a great team, and it just shows that, you know, a lot of the a lot of the players now kind of, you know, jump from coach to coach and caddy to caddy and stuff like that, and, you know, Porig's team has been very, very stable, and you know they've been there, and you know, he under, obviously understands the game anyway, but. You know, to someone like like Bob Torrance to working with him, and then he'd run a flood, and did a lot of work with Robertella and people like that. And I think that kind of team has never really changed much, or probably on the end of the phone anyway. If, if you know, if needed, um, I suppose he probably doesn't. There was there was much with the coaches now, but you know, I'm sure if he needs if he needs a look, they'll you know they'll they'll happily happily help out. Yeah, the caddy relationship is is always you know interesting, especially in majors and when you stack majors on majors and it's the same same guy looping for you. Um, you know, he he definitely Padraig kept that you know that that group surrounding him pretty tight knit by uh, marrying off his wife's sister to to his caddy as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's you know it's a I suppose it's a strange dynamic. I mean. You know, generally, generally, um, most people. No offense to my in-laws now, which are, who are lovely, obviously. But um, you know, they, they, sometimes you try to keep your in-laws at at a, at, at least a, a COVID a two meters, if not if not a bit further. You know, um, so yeah, it's a strange one. But uh, you know, thank you for using it. the metric system. <laughs> um, I know you had. Oh yeah, I got on before Ron and he'd oh, was it John O'Reilly or someone like that anyway. I can't remember the guy's name, but it was something O'Reilly, I think. He was he was another Irish caddy, but he had him had him for a couple of years, I think. And then on tour initially, I suppose you go on, you want to go with a bit of experience and then Ronan I think came came on board then maybe in the early two thousands possibly. But I mean a phenomenal a phenomenal team, I suppose they're never really talked about. I mean, you know, when things go wrong with Rory, they talk about oh get rid of the caddy JP is useless or, you know, Harry's no good or whatever, it, you know, whatever it might be. But, I mean, they've been a team for a long time and um, obviously we've had all the major wins and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure Parry credits him with a lot of the self-belief that he gave him that he could still win the Open even when he put a second one in the water on the 18th of Carnoustie when he by one, um, you know, which was, which was probably big for him. And, you know, I suppose we all we all see what happened in the end. So it it is you know very very important, and you know we we see all you know all the, the great caddy you know player caddy you know combos between between Phil and Bones and you know Tiger and Steve. Although it probably didn't end <laughs> too well in the end, but had some pretty good days. Um, and I I suppose before it wasn't really the case. You know, Jack would come in and he'd have his regular caddy in St Andrews or Muirfield or whatever it was, and Watson had the same, and Arnie had the same, and you know, even at Augusta, they'd have the local caddies that 
you know, because it was a Karen Jackson, the caddy for, for Ben Crenshaw and stuff like that. They wouldn't have their tour caddies, they'd have their local, the local guys. Uh, definitely Ronan you know, Ronan Ron Flood has got to take a, a lot of credit as well. Um, you know, obviously Parry, Parry, you know, played the golf, but as a former caddy and caddy master, we've got to be, got to give a big ups to Ronan as well. Yeah, so I suppose obviously 2007 then with Carnoustie, um, it looked like Sergio's breakthrough finally. I mean, he'd he'd shot onto the scene in, in 99 and, you know, had a phenomenal, phenomenal year. Um, Chase Tiger down the stretch at Medina, I think, had the match shot out of the trees on, can't, re can't remember what, all, like 12 or 13 or something. The, the run and the jump at the top of the hill and yeah, um, looked looked like he'd he'd be the guy to push it to Tiger for, you know, 15, 20 years after, but um, was close in a few majors. I know he was, he was he got close to Tiger in 06 at Highlake. Tiger versus chipped it around the golf course for four days and Garcia wore that awful uh, all-yellow outfit. I think that was kind of the, the end of his uh, <laughs> intending that year. Um, but again, like was right up there in 07, you know, out of the gate, you know, Carnoustie's probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest open venues and, you know, typical Sergio ball strikers golf course. He was up there. Three good rounds, maybe it's slightly iffy, I think, I think second round, but was three ahead of, uh, funnily enough, Steve Stricker going into the final round, whose party goes up against in the Ryder Cup. And then, you know, something called a Paul Broadhurst. Um, I suppose a few a few Irish probably fans forget that McGinley was the same score as Harrington, three under going into the final round, six shots off Garcia, and you know we had a hope, but it was a lot of it was relying on Garcia to probably come back to the field and hoping that Stricker might come back a little bit as well because they were the they were the two Garcia was only nine under, Stricker was six, and the rest of the guys were three, including Els and a few others, um, you know so. I mean, Har Harrington started the second round fair, or sorry, the final round fairly well. Um, I was working that well, working that year in in Dunbeg and was coming back to watch the final round in in a buddy's house, and we we stopped off. I had Parig back to thirty three to one, so I was hoping he might do something. <laughs> I was probably I was probably kind of cashing in on place money at that stage, but I was a little bit happier when I came in at the end. But we were. Um, we were on the way back from. Um, I think we. I think we we had a bit of a piss up, a bit of a session in in Lynch, which isn't far from Dunbeg, and we came back to Limerick then the following day. So I was finished on the Saturday, and we went went on the tear, um, watched the end of the golf, and kind of you know we were thinking you know six shots off the lead, probably don't have to get up too early in the morning because there's not much going to go on, and he might he might he might not. Put it up to McGinley might come out of somewhere. Something might happen, hopefully. So, um, and we went via a place called the Alloy Caves that's that sells what well, used to be moonshine, but then it's it's putching, but it's pretty much uh, I suppose potato vodka for for want of a better phrase. But I don't know what I don't know what happened that anyway. But we probably drank it that night after he won. Um, but we were watching. There was a couple of early birdies, and he was ticking along. He was playing playing good stuff. I rem and I remember. I think one of the one of the stories was he does he, he doesn't watch leaderboards, and I think by the time he got to the fourteenth, if he wasn't within a shot of the lead, he'd go with driver on the par five. But if he if he was one shot behind, 
um, Ronan would give him the five wood and Ronan gave him the five wood. So obviously he knew at that stage he was at least a shot behind or possibly level or possibly ahead. He wasn't sure, still wasn't sure. I don't, I, I still don't get that with the massive leaderboards at the open that they couldn't know what position <laughs> they would be on the leaderboard when there's like huge, big yellow leaderboards around the golf course. But supposedly he didn't know. Hit the five wood and, and by his own admission, pushed it a small bit and it ended up about a yard short of one of the fairway bunkers. And he kind of hit a forearm from there, I think. And he pulled it a small bit, but he got a good kick off the hill and rolled up to the edge of the, the green. The pin was on the left as well. And he ended up holding the putt for eagle. But I remember we were watching it inside in the living room at my friend's house and his mother was out in the garden sitting in the sun um, on the one day that summer that the sun shone. Um, and she was listening to it on the radio and she was reacting to the putt going in before we actually saw it, such as the speed of sound, I suppose, um, versus the TV, the TV wave. So, um, you know, she, she gave up the reassurance that Harrington had hold for Eagle. So I want you to just close your eyes for just, you know, a moment and, and picture that happening again. And it doesn't have to be a full reenactment, but <laughs> I don't want you to wake your kids, but. I'd like uh, a little taste of what that was like for Tom Kennedy watching that happen. Yeah, that's a good one, eh? Trying to remember that, yeah. Fucking hell. It's more like, a, yeah, fucking go on, Parik. <laughs> <laughs> bit louder, a bit louder, but yeah. Sure, it, was more, sure. it, was, it was probably more tempered by the fact that um, Breed Fien, who, who I'll name check on it, um, was roaring and shouting in the garden, and we were kind of going, so we already know all the fucking putts, so we can't really. The kind of reaction was really sucked <laughs> out of us because they were like, "Hey!" Like, even though he still holds it, we saw it going in the hole. It was like it was, it was probably more the reaction at the end with the playoff and stuff. So, yeah, it was a funny one. It was it was it was like the the worst reaction to an eagle in a in a major. <laughs> like, so it, was, it was just yeah, it was a funny one. That she was in the garden, uh, kind of listened to it on the on the, the RT radio feed. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like it was a, it was a phenomenal, like, you know, stars align and stuff like that. Like hit the five wood, it was a yard short of the bunker. It four iron, it could have stayed left, but got a little kick onto the fringe so we could put it and obviously held the, well, held the putt. So we still, if you give yourself a chance, he could have still missed the putt, but he held the putt. So, you know, the, the next few holes went on and he stood on 18 with a one shot lead. Um, like Did you go just absolutely nuts when he made that eagle? Oh yeah, I think ape shit is the is the technical term in Ireland. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh, it was great. I, mean, I was almost said shit. ape shit, but I thought maybe he won't <laughs> recognize this term. <laughs> so I was mad. I mean, you know, you could see he was gradually climbing the leaderboard, and it was a few guys. I mean, with Carnoustie, a few guys are going to have a terrible final day just with the nature of the golf course, and some some will come back. I mean, I know. Like I think Paul Laurie shot like five or six under I think the final round somehow in the, in those bad conditions in '99, but conditions were a lot better and there was a few there was a few still in contention. I think um, Andres Romero, Romero played with Parig and he wasn't far off. If he if he had a good if he had a good final hole, I don't think he did though playing with Parig. Um, he might have been in the playoff or possibly won it as well the way it turned out, but. Um, you know, it, it, it unfortunately didn't for, for Andres, but like Parik hit from his own admission, happy on the, happy on the 18th, ready to rip the driver down, down the fairway and just hit 
you know, probably one of the worst shots of his life down the right hand side, skipped on the skipped on the on the grass path and or on the the little bridge and and nearly, you know, the artificial path and nearly made it over the other side but fell in and then he had like a two hundred and twenty yard shot, I think, into the green. And out of bounds left, out of bounds long. You can't miss a right because you won't get up and down. And then he kind of duff hooked it into the water short. And at that stage, like you're gone. You know, you're, I suppose you're out in two, you're playing three, you're in in three, out in four, you're playing five, and you're going, just lost the open. Like, what the hell? I mean, it was more, I think, from, from what he says, more embarrassment than anything, kind of walking up the 18th fairway and going, like, just, I could, I could jump into one of the, one of the, one of the burns there and just, you know, not come out until Monday morning. Um, and that's when Rowan kind of kicked in with all the, cliches and it's not over yet and the Bob Rotella stuff and you know eventually I think Nick Parry was saying like after the first 50 yards I wanted to hit him I wanted to kill him the second 50 yards I started to listen and there was only another there was only a third 50 yards because he did it so short <laughs> with the forearm that he only finally started to believe it and you know in the end I suppose he by the time he got to the ball and dropped it and he played a beautiful like people forget the, the phenomenal pitch shot from about like 30, 40 yards to about four feet and he held the putt for six because obviously if he didn't get up and down, Garcia could have made bogey and won it. So, you know, at least he gave himself half a chance, made double bogey, you know, which would have preferred to make par and obviously win it, win it outright, but he made double bogey and Garcia bogey and then, you know, the, I think Porig birdied the first of the, of the four-hole playoff, Garcia bogeyed and then it was kind of it, I wouldn't say plain sailing because there's still three holes to go, but he kind of he kind of cruised home and bogey the last to win by one. It was you know fairly easy, and then we've all the stories about you know young Paddy asking him can he put ladybirds in the tank jug, and he obviously told him he could. And you know, <laughs> sixty years, sixty year curses broken finally on the 18th hole. <laughs> I mean, that's so difficult. To be able to stick it to like three feet and make the putt, but even the way he describes him playing the shot is kind of he played like he was a kid at home hitting like you know fizzy fizzy nippers as Gavin Moynihan calls it. He's a he's a younger <laughs> younger pro from Dublin, but like the low low skippy kind of pitch shots to spin a spin on the second or third bounce, and it was kind of like I'm gonna I'm gonna show him I can still play golf here, and he had a good shot <laughs> in, and you know it probably had a look on the way by, but I think it. It's it spun at about three and a half foot and finished it finished about four feet away and he made a pretty pretty good putt in for double like this was one of the one of the best double bogeys he's ever made and in the end it was uh probably the best. This was before his like wide stance putting or was this after his wide stance putting? Yeah, I mean it would it would have been still a bit on the quirkier side, but yeah, probably before the real the real wide wide stance. I mean he's still he's still. He was still putting with the with the two ball. Um, I think he puts with something yeah, two ball, not quite yeah. that. But you know, he's I know Lowry puts with the two ball as well now. So there were that was yeah. one, of the, one of the more popular ones. But yeah, he he. Did I remember he like ball, kind of the later in his career, he just widened his stance and just had the most just rocks on. Like, Brace for the tornado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unusual, I suppose. Yeah, he got used to it then. I suppose didn't just. Decided, you know, just didn't change it then, really. So, sure. you know, it's an it's it's an unusual uh, thing. But Porig is a 
Borg isn't exactly usual anyway. So, it's, Tom, uh, how do you feel about uh, Padraig's Wilson staff sponsorship? I think, I think personally, it it, it works good for him because. There's not as many playing Wilson and he probably gets a lot more attention and for a golfer like him, I think it works well because he's very I don't know if pernickety is kinda of a good word, but he's he likes things a certain way and he he wants to try certain things and maybe a comp a bigger company mightn't um indulge him as much, maybe. So it's probably a good fit. Um you know, they were, it's worked. It's worked bloody well for both of them, anyway. Um, yeah. Definitely, definitely boring. Um, you know, it always I, seemed unusual. Like, yeah, I was. I, don't, yeah, I, was I couldn't name another Wilson one. staffer. No, I'd be. I'd find it tough as well. I mean, um, yeah, I mean that's that's how I think it. I mean, uh, you know, it'd be something like the Wilson ref ref at the time. There might have been an Irish guy that he knew and got him in and you know it was a good relationship and i mean i know a lot, you know a lot of the a lot of the irish guys are playing the same clubs i know like mcginley's probably with taylor made for a long time i know it's like a bigger brand than wilson but a lot of the a lot of the guys are, are with the same brands for a long time but i think it's more but it's more the i suppose the fact that he's maybe a bit allowed a bit more input on on, he, on, he, on the clubs and stuff like that um, so it's you know it's an interesting combo. I'm not sure how how it came about initially, really, but they've been been together for a long time, and I suppose it just shows if you if you kind of stick with stick with a you know a partner, it's you know can a bit the bit of loyalty can can come to fruition at the end as well. So obviously. It had been a you know great a great two thousand seven for Parig like he'd followed up um he'd followed up the Irish Open win with the PGA Championship Irish PGA Championship with the European and then then won in Carnoustie eventually eventually after the up at the eighteenth and then you know had a pretty pretty solid end of the season and started the next season and went in probably as one of the favourites then for the Open in two thousand and eight um I suppose pretty much nailed on for a Ryder Cup spot and all that. Um and he had won the PGA Championship again at the European. I think in de- in in pretty poor conditions, like wind and rain, which was you know decent prep, I suppose, but on a links course, and exactly the same prep that he'd done the year before. So, you know, people were thinking, you know, he's he's going to he's going to more than likely be up there, if not going to going to probably be one of the leading contenders or win it. Um, and on I think either on the Sunday night. Or the Monday, he decided, in his wisdom, that he was going to do a one-handed Happy Gilmore at one of the one of the swing bags that he has at home, and did it and kind of hurt his wrist, you know, oh, no. something. Um, and you're kind of going, right? Oh shit! <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's what's this? Got it seen to with his own admission, and he's he's on on interviews with with BBC or Sky Sports or whatever it might be that if it was the Open he wouldn't be he wouldn't have been there that week excuse me he wouldn't have been there that week he wouldn't have played so he did limited practice I don't think he, he might have walked the golf course he didn't play it much 
he may well have known it from amateur days or whatever. I'm sure you know Ronan did did his homework anyway. But he teed it up on the on the Thursday in pretty bad conditions. It was raining, windy. I don't think the wind stopped till you know till after Sunday. It, it was windy for the four rounds, but he keeps one or two over. I think seventy four in the first round and um. McDowell might have actually led led the first round, and there was a lot of Australians around, including a certain fifty odd year old Greg Norman, who <laughs> was hoping that he could uh, wind the years back. Um, shark, the last, uh, the shark. The last time he'd won was in '93 at at Royal St George. Is probably one of the finest final rounds ever seen in a major. '63, going head to head with Bernard Langer and um, Nick Faldo, and I think possibly Nick Price, but um, that was some. Some phenomenal golf, and you know, Greg Greg had started well, and Adam Scott was up there as well. I think I think Rob Robert Allenby, um, Parry played, Parry got through got through the first round. I think it was more as as much a, I think two over par as much as as much of as a as a test of the wrist as anything. There was a couple of shots in the rough that he was like, I don't like this. I don't know, like we'll give it a go, but and he he got through it, which probably encouraged him then to. You know the wrist is fine. We can go at it a bit more, and the conditions stayed the same in terms of wind. But, but I think it was fairly fairly sunny for the following three days, and he followed it up with a sixty eight and follow and uh, on the second day and level par in the third round and was two behind Norman going into the final round. And I think I think teeing off the tenth on the Sunday, Norman still led by one or maybe two. Um, before before he really got it together, he. he he made a made a good fifteen twenty footer on the ninth or the tenth green for birdie to get him within one of Norman, and after that, you know he he just he just kept plugging away and, and a couple more birdies and managed to manage to overtake him. But um, and Poulter was up there as well. It was the year of his um, lovely Union Jack pants. Um, but you know he could he could well have won it and he might have done. Um, and another year if, if a couple of shots, a couple of different shots had gone his way, but. Um, I suppose the standout shot was was his second at seventeen in the final round. I think he might have been one ahead at the time. And all he all he could think of from his own admission was the the story of Norman. You know the the story was Nor Norman the whole week. Um, you know it, it's usually def the defending champion or someone coming coming from you know from that side. But it was I suppose Norman. He I don't think he plays any other majors really at that party open. Um, and hadn't at the time, and I suppose the, the age and everything, um, you know, around it. And he's played, he played so well, he'd very, you know, very solid. And you know, Porig was, I suppose, fixated on that story and the fact that it would it would overtake what he was trying to do. But he hit like probably one of the best shots of his life, and it, by his own admission, and I think cozied up to about six or eight feet. Um, I forget whether he hold it or not, but he definitely made birdie at worst. And, Hit it, hit a, hit a beautiful drive down the last, and and um, I think four or five iron into about ten feet, and you know that was it, that was done. I think I remember Peter Alice uh, calling him a show off on the on uh, when he hit the second shot into eighteen. That you know you take on the flag, the flag was cut tight right right by the bunker. I think the same same as it was for Speed in 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 twenty sixteen, but um, you know he. He played some played some great golf, played some really good golf even on the first day in very bad conditions to kind of stay in there and hang around and he was only you know, in the end he was only five or six shots off and you know, he felt that 
with the with the wind and the way he plays and the way that he's able to manage the conditions that he was he was always going to be in there and he crept closer and closer and I suppose like any great player, if you're in with a chance with nine holes to go in a major, that's what you want. You know, the the, the previous sixty three holes don't really matter. It's just getting there and getting to that point and you know, he finished the job and it was like as as great as it was, I'm sure the two thousand and eight win. It was probably the doubts in his own mind that he hadn't finished it on the 18th. He hadn't, you know, got that win. He didn't have the walk up the 18th with the crowds hooting and hollering and, and you know, clapping and hat off and, you know, the the, the the greatest walk as the as the as the, the open guys and the RNA guys say. So he he had that he had that kind of indication that two thousand and seven wasn't a I suppose a lucky win. He went and won it in two thousand and eight. He had the he had the walk. Um you know, and he could really enjoy it, and you know, he played some phenomenal golf, and you know, fair play to him. Yeah, so after all the, I suppose the, the phenomenal twelve months into two majors, and you had a, I think three, maybe four weeks max, up in the run up to the PGA at Oakland Hills, where Corey had played very well in the two thousand four Ryder Cup. Um, so good good memories there. Funnily enough, he'd supposedly gone through swing changes from Brookdale to Oakland Hills, which is is mad in in a three or four week stint. Um, but he started out anyway, played okay for the first few days. It was I think could have been three or four over par total though on the on the par par seventy I think um Oakland Hills for the for the week. Um, so he was few shots behind, you know, like Robert Carlson and Andres Romero, who contended with him in, in, in Carnoustie, uh, and Cabrera, who was, you know, kind of a major contender, especially especially back then, um, when, when obviously the US Open and the Masters, um, you know, fairly close together. Um, and then, you know, they went through, through to the Saturday and I think it was kind of Ben Curtis and Porig and, and Garcia that were you know, pretty much the main, you know, the main contenders. Um, as it turned out, going into Sunday, but it took it took Porig a very very good sixty six. Well, two sixty sixes over the weekend, but one sixty six to get in, into contention. I think one of those, the the Saturday round, which was finished on the Sunday. Um, I think Porig had a few late birdies to to get him in, you know, into contention. Um, but discovered. Either on the Saturday or the Sunday morning, that he was, he was significantly dehydrated, and had to take certain steps to make sure he got a few, I think, injections or electrolytes or whatever you do when you're dehydrated. Um, usually I, I go back to bed because <laughs> it's self-inflicted. <laughs> but he had to go out and play a tournament. Um, it's like sparkling water or Lucozade for me usually, um, or a fry up. Um, but no, he had to go out and try to win a major. So. I mean, it was, it was a it was a serious Sunday. It was a great Sunday worth of golf. I remember watching it with a good friend of mine, Brian Gaffney, who's not the PGA pro who turns up every now and then and at the PGA Championship, but, uh, the Irish version. So we always have a laugh at that when Brian's name turns up. Uh, he qualifies every couple of years, but um, good for Brian. Funny enough, ups, ups for Brian, yeah, uh, both Brian's. But um, I I I'd backed Parig both years that he won the Open, but I had actually put money on Sergio to win the PGA, so I was significantly conflicted. Wallet versus National Pride, 
Um, but it was it was obviously impossible to not, not cheer for Pori. But I remember Garcia, I think it was the first or the second hole at the par five at Oakland Hills and downwind Garcia had like hit a drive six iron to about two feet and made eagle and was looking really good at that stage and they were going, you know, tra- trading birdies, pars, bogeys, whatever, but it came down, it pretty much came down to, I think it was 16 or 17, and they both hit two phenomenal tee shots in to about, I think Parry was five or six feet, and Sergio was like three and a half feet. Um, Parry held from, you know, I suppose, classic match play moment, and Parry held from 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 his, he fell his five footer, and Sergio had like a four, three or four footer to going to be, well, I suppose all square or 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 level with him going up the last um and 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 missed it I suppose it was the kind of Achilles heel as it was at the time for for Sergio trying to win a major just getting the getting the ball in the hole when he needed to and you know Parry hit it I think hit it in the bunker right then off the tee on on eighteen and didn't look good Sergio was down the fairway we're looking at playoff thankfully it wasn't the US Open or we'd have to come back the following morning for eighteen holes but um Sergio was in was in. I think it was inside Parry for birdie. Um, maybe it was inside him. I can't remember now. But Parry had the par put anyway, which 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 was which was for the no, which was for the win. Sorry, Sergio had put it for birdie, and it was a couple of feet away. Parry had had the put literally put for the win, put for par like a twelve fifteen footer right to left, and handed a little bit like the the put with Jay Hass in um in two thousand and four. Good memories in that green and um. You know, it was it was it was crazy to think that as good as the opens were, it probably seemed to me. I I don't know if it meant more to Pori, but it's it seemed to be a bigger win because of what it meant in terms of like it. You know, the different style of course in the states. Mm-hmm. I mean, the field might have been tiny bit better. I know that they they, they claim the US PGA field is the is the strongest field in golf. It may well be, um, but. They're all they're all pretty bloody good in majors anyway, so um any major win is pretty good, but um it was just, you know, the you know, the way he I suppose he fought back into it at the weekend. I mean, you were thinking like he's you know, he might get back to a top ten or something like that, but um, you know, get get back get back a couple of rounds, bit of form before the Ryder Cup a month later or something like that. But um, you know, to go and win it, especially the final round, I mean it was a pretty pretty good shootout with Sergio, I think. It was a 15 or 16, I think, is the par four along the water on the right. I think Ben Curtis hit it in the water. Um, it was Curtis or Sergio, actually. It might have been Sergio. Um, they hit it in the water and gave, gave Harrington a bit of an opening. And then Harrington birdied, but obviously birdied 17. Um, that sounds head right. To head. But, um, you know, it was just just crazy. I mean, you, you, you kind of, you just don't think he'll... I suppose it's tough to think they'll they'll have it in the tank to to get another another major after doing so well like four weeks earlier that you can just keep up the momentum. But you know, there's I suppose there's there's few better and you know I still say it like there's few better down the stretch than Parr. He's such an absolute dogged. He's a like a bollocks to play against the sure. <laughs> um, like as a match player and you know just just he'll do like he'll he'll take like he'll get absolutely leak every little bit out of his game i mean he was always i suppose he probably admitted himself that like you know he's obviously got a lot of talent but he works as hard as anybody i think i've ever seen on tour 
um, just ridiculous. Like he'll be hitting balls in in the dark, like you know, as opposed to you know the lads are you know catching up with their Instagram stories and he's he's still out hitting balls. Um, so you know, he's just there's no like there's no one that you know if I wanted something to get up and down for my life, it'd probably be Warwick. Um, I couldn't think of anyone better, and you know he obviously he obviously got a he's phenomenal up and down, kept off an, an amazing thirteen months and won three majors, and it was it was pretty bloody special. So is Padraig not spending sure. a lot of time on TikTok? Um, he spends a little more time on social media. I'm not sure about TikTok, but he he likes his golf videos on Twitter in lockdown anyway. But no, he's uh, he's. He's probably he's probably happy there wasn't social media back in two thousand seven or two thousand eight or at least not much of it anyway. I think maybe Facebook was just about poking his head poking his head out there. But um, yeah, it was like it was like it was great. It was it was a brilliant um, thirteen months. I mean, he was the best player in the world for me for thirteen months at least for thirteen months, and he was pretty pretty bloody good before and after that as well. Um, you know, and when he you know he shot. The year shit when Shane won in Port Rush, he shot shot sixty three in the in the first round in Lahinch in the Irish Open two weeks before, and you're thinking like, <laughs> you just never know. You're kind of going if if it, you know if if it kind if it just clicks, and you know he wasn't far off in twenty fifteen in uh, in St Andrews as well. He t- he got into the he tied for the lead, I think, with about thirteen or fourteen holes to go. Of the year Zach Johnson won in the playoff, I think, with Louis. And um, you had Snader Jans and you had Paul Dunn and you had the Shambo, I think, were up there all as amateurs that year. So it was mad. It just show like it just it shows. I mean, you know, when he when he does get into contention, now he didn't quite didn't quite finish the job, but when he gets in contention, there's few better, you know. Where would you say this thirteen month stretch ranks in like Irish sporting history? Hmm. Probably, like as a golfer, it's probably up there. It's I, I mean most most people I know would would put him as our greatest sports person, which is which says a lot really when you consider you know there's there's people that have that have won you know Olympic gold medals and people like Michael Carruth and you've got you know people like Brian O'Driscoll who had an amazing rugby career and won a lot of trophies and but I suppose the the major major titles are. Are pretty are pretty special and i mean there's only four of them a year and all the rest of it i mean like hopefully people like leona mcguire will will you know do do things like that on the woman's side and the women's side of golf and will you know encourage a lot of people to play but i think it's our finest sporting 13 months ever i can't think of it and anything else i can i'm open i'm open to correction on it but um it's you know he's He's a great. He's probably the best interview in golf bar myself. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, he's he's just he's a phenomenal ambassador for the country. He does a lot of you know a lot of charity stuff, and you know he's just he's brilliant. And it's I suppose it's it's really good. He he we can you know I suppose we we don't own him, but we kind of think we own him. So you know he's Irish and he's brilliant. And, you know he's I suppose Lowry's coming after him and. You know, hopefully he's inspired a lot of a lot of lads that they can they can do it because it's you know it's tough it's tough out there for the pros and stuff like that and it's a tough old tough old business and for a guy who was you know kind of thinking he'll be uh, no offense to Mike but he's uh, 
he might be an accountant rather than a golfer. And <laughs> that's, you know, he got his accountancy stuff first of all. And, you know, thank God he, he thank God he took that year to give it a go on the tour. And I suppose he won the Madeira Island Open kind of early on, early on in his career. And I suppose it made it a lot easier for himself. And, you know, went from there and, you know, he's here, he's, he's our best sports person or greatest sports person. I mean, there might be people to come after him that'll be better, but, you know, it was it was our finest moments anyway, that's for sure. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the Lynx stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the Lynx Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. Tom, we'll get you out of here on a few rapid fire questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so you talked earlier about uh, kind of the wallet versus pride when you're, you bet on Sergio and, and then you were rooting for Padraig as your, your countryman. Um, so I want to put a little either or for you. Um, you either have to go with no Guinness or no whiskey for the rest of your life. Go. No Guinness. That was pretty easy for you. Yeah. <laughs> Not a Guinness fan or no, Just no. The, the following morning is easier after whiskey than Guinness. So, <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> anyway, so I take a I take a week on whiskey versus a week on Guinness. So, all right, that's that's fair. Are are four leaf clovers really lucky? I haven't met an unlucky one yet. Anyway, <laughs> very political I, answer, but <laughs> I love that response. Though that was good. Um. <laughs> Okay, any thoughts on um, my co-host, uh, Miggs' alma mater, the University of Notre Dame, being the Fighting Irish? They should always be the Fighting Irish anyway, I think. <laughs> I don't think... As, as an Irish person, I'm not offended by the Fighting Irish, so, you know. I I mean, look, I suppose as a as a... As a tour operator that welcomes Irish back, or well, mainly I suppose Irish Americans, but any any Americans back into Ireland that you know we 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 pride ourselves in our in the connection with the states, and I mean I suppose we sent there's probably more Irish living in the US now than there is living in their own country. Um, I mean there's, there's probably more than I'm sure there's more than five there's five million in population in the Republic, so there's probably more than that in in the states between all the you know all the the, the diaspora that have that have that have gone down the years and I suppose we had a hand in building the whole country so we'll take um I think the fighting Irish thing it's a good uh, analogy back to Harrington that it's the fighting spirit as much as the, the fisticuffs I suppose you know the the kind of fighting yeah. in the bars I suppose is just for the just for the brothers that are that are generally barred every Saturday night going right get out again <laughs> <laughs> but um which is which is fine too um but you know i think it's more the, it's the fighting spirit and the the kind of you know the the mentality that we have i think that's um a very very apt in terms of uh, the subject matter uh, this evening mm -hmm. 
Um, I love your answer. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Fighting Irish, do you like Conor McGregor? No. <laughs> Any anyone who doesn't uh, distill their own whiskey, I have a, a distinct uh, dislike for. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like if the stories are to be believed, he actually he made swing changes from like from Birkdale, where where he kind of says he play, probably played his four best rounds back to back ever to, to actually make it swing changes to teen it up in perfect time to make a change. Yeah, in Oakland Hills, but I mean, he's that kind of guy anyway. I mean, you know, yeah. some of the stuff you see him do on the range is kind of a little bit, I suppose, quirky to say, to say the least. So. Um, you know, you wouldn't put it past him. It's just, it's just we. I suppose just the, the drive for perfection kind of thing. It's, you know, I, I think, I think we can be a bit better than we were. You know, winning, winning the second major, going into the third one. So, I mean, I mean, lockdown, lockdown. Parig, was like a savior during lockdown. He did, all, he did these videos on, uh, especially on Twitter, all these kind of instructional videos that, you know. There was as much about mentality as anything, but it's really just really interesting. I mean, he's going to be. I know he's got. I think plans to kind of help out, kind of you know, elite, elite amateurs when when the playing days are over, whenever that happens. But um, it'll be. I know Padraig has like a huge. Doesn't he have a pretty extensive practice facility at his house? He's got like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting greens like a simulator. He's got like a big range that he can hit balls pretty much at any yeah. length. Yeah, it's like a I think a three or four hole like par par three courses with the par three courses with tees and stuff and a few greens and yeah, there's all sorts. So definitely yeah. Definitely it's, um, it's phenomenal. Make sure he gets the practice in, yeah. So we got to we got to see a lot of that during lockdown, all the videos, so which was good. It was it was just simple stuff but really interesting and you know, he's got a little more than my my putting green in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his I know, house yeah. just looks like the clubhouse on a course. It does a bit actually. Like a, yeah, it's a nice it's, looking house, but like it just yeah. the scenery around it makes it just look like a clubhouse. Well, it's probably it's probably got as many trophies as some clubhouses as well. So <laughs> it's probably well, you know, it's probably well suited if there was a golf course. If you ever put a proper golf course uh, around it, sure. um, I'm sure people that wouldn't mind uh, wouldn't mind a quick tour of the of the inside as well. Speaking of unusual uh, choices, let's just go back to this. Oh God, the, yes, the Adidas. I did. Yeah, I did, mention, I did mention all six. Yeah, I don't know. Was it the, the yeah? It was the final round, wasn't it? Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my God, I I re- like I had a memory of it when you said it when I was going to get another beer, and it was just even worse than I remembered. Yeah. I, remembered I mean, it. Look, I remembered it being a little bit more like uh, a little bit more vibrant, but like almost the subtleness of it makes it worse. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like a it's dull like muted it's, yellow. Yeah, it's like it's like yellow mustard versus like Dijon mustard, and it's like oh, it like it doesn't make you go like whoa, but it's like why. Yeah, I mean, he could have worn, he could have gone red pants, yellow shirt, and a red hat for yeah. a Spanish flag. But I mean, sure. you know, all yellow was was an unusual. It's like he got dressed in the yeah. dark and you know combined a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. 
like Seve won the the Masters, and I think it was in nineteen eighty. He kind of, you know, gave gave the belief to a lot of the other Europeans that look they can win abroad because I think Jackson was probably the the one before that after the one eighty won the U.S. Open and it might have been nineteen sixty nine or nineteen seventy, and you know it was. It, I suppose if you if you it was I don't know if it was Henry I think it was Henry Ford that said if you if you think you can or you think you can't you're right. So I suppose it was it was the kind of you know <laughs> we can actually fucking do this kind of thing like you know it's it's possible. I remember, I remember the him even talking about it not so long after and that he was they had they had a few I think a couple of rain delays and he played he might have played twenty four holes maybe on the Sunday. He had to finish his final round, but he came in and he was supposedly severely dehydrated after either the second or third round and got like electrolytes and all sorts of hydrate, I suppose, lots of water and other, other, other bits. So it was weird that, you know, and I mean, he, I'm sure, I mean, he looks after himself more than, more than most, um, be it on the range or, or otherwise, you know. So that was an interesting story to, to think that he would have been. Severely dehydrated, and it's not not from not from not from boozing anyway, because he he doesn't really drink at all. So it's not like it was not like Darren was leading into the final round, and he went on, he went on a, a pre a pre major celebratory uh, Saturday night session. Like um, so, that was a strange one. Like how you'd be, you know how how you'd kind of, you know, leave that part of of um, you know your prep or you're looking after yourself. Um, to like see that, when yeah, I, think yeah. I, I can't believe an Irishman doesn't uh, enjoy to drink. He he kind of he like he likes to have a few drinks when he's celebrating, but he generally doesn't otherwise. So <laughs> you know, might just... might, be, might might be different these days. But yeah, maybe he was just um, he was motivating himself. He was saying, you know, I know I need to drink something. I need to, I need to stay hydrated, but I'm gonna wait until it's something great to drink out of. Possibly, I need yeah. to win this first. <laughs> yeah, and you can get you can get a hell of a lot of stuff into the Wanamaker as well. So <laughs> that's right. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.